Thank you, Sanjay. Um, it is go- so good to see somebody here from the subcontinent. You guys don't even know what I'm talking about. But I'm going to tell you, there are so many Indian believers that have been sent out from India. They are all over the world. And um, God's church, he's, he's developing his church. He's building his church. We learned last week, he uses it to, to show his infinite wisdom to the world. And we just can't comprehend it. But thank you for being here. Thank you for your ministry. Um, welcome. Thank you for being here. Sorry for the weather. It's, it's, uh, it's almost like somebody who lived in the desert made the call this morning. You know, you get a, little, a little dusting and uh, all of a sudden people can't come to church. And, and now we'll, it'll be, you know, the end of February and we'll have six inches and everybody will be like, ah, come on, it's fine. So I was, I was chatting with some people out this morning that, that were here for the nine o'clock service. And, and, and one of the things that we decided was going forward, we will have what is formally known as the four-wheel drive service. And then the, the regular service when we, when we have bad weather. So, um, you know, I guess, I guess God works through, through all different kinds of ways. Um, thank you for being here. I uh, feel the need for those of you who, who don't know who I am, because um, I realize there's many in this church who do not to introduce myself. I'm, my name is Steve. Uh, my lovely wife, Rosanna, is with me today. Um, we, have been, we have been at the church. I was trying to figure this out. I think it's about 17 years that we've been at Bethany, but for the last 10, we've been living overseas. And uh, we, uh, we were blessed when the Lord brought us back at the end of June, and we are so happy to be here um, we just we just live in the most. If you don't know this, we live in the most amazing country. Sorry, Sanjay, um, the most amazing country. And within this country, Lancaster County is just a special place. Uh, I was sitting on the porch two years ago with a good friend of mine, Dave Schubert, who lives in Switzerland now. Beautiful spot he lives in in Switzerland. And he was sitting on the front porch, and he said to me, Steve, how do you leave here every summer? and go back to the desert. And I said, because I know I can always come back. And so we are so, so happy to be here. Sorry, a little bit emotional after being overseas. Um, Worship team, uh, Andy, um, I really, really am so thankful for the people who serve in our church in a variety of capacities, but lead us into worship. Uh, Jason, your work with the, with the missions team and spending time with Sanjay, um, thank you for what you contributed today. We've been in uh, a short series on the church, and uh, we're in the second part of this, and we'll get to the third one next week um, on the gifts. And what we've, what we've been focusing on is... Uh, what, is it, what is it that God has created in all of this, and then how does he interact with us? And so today, what we're going to attempt to focus on is the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works within our lives. Um, it, it's necessary for me to tell you that I had carpal tunnel surgery this week, so you'll see me kind of, if you, if you shake my hand really hard, I will buckle. Uh, I'll, I'll collapse. Um, and actually, I wasn't wearing the wrist. And then, and then Leroy said, you better put that on or somebody's going to misunderstand and really shake your hand hard. Um, but it's, uh, 
it's, our, it's my pleasure to be here with you and to, and to hopefully uh, the Holy Spirit will use, will use us in this place to, to minister to you. Last week we looked at the universal church and we talked a little bit about what, what is the church. And the, the church is not any wall. The church is Sanjay and I talking this morning and there being what I felt an immediate connection with he and his wife. Because when you go around the world, you encounter people who believe the exact same thing you do. And you don't have to get very far into a conversation to understand that. That this is a believer that is, they understand the same spirit of God that I do, that God speaks to them in the same way, although as a Westerner, I find that when I go in other parts of the world, he speaks to them in a much more direct way than than he often does with me. And the universal church is his body outside of here. It's not confined to walls. It's not confined to any space. It's not even confined to a time. His church transcends all of that. So now we want to take a look at, so how does he, how does he orchestrate all of this? How does he, how does he manage to work? And, and, I'm, and I'm going to tell you, I think if I studied this for 50 years, I would just beginning, be, be beginning to understand the surface of it. It is, it is so deep. It is so incomprehensible. Last week we saw in Scripture, God continues to teach us about these things all throughout our lives. And we continue to, to acquire knowledge and understanding. And we're going to see in Scripture this week, he, he deliberately tells us, I don't give it to you all at once. It's not, it's not revealed to you all at one time. It comes to us. We want to start with this passage in Romans. We'll jump off here, and, um, and then we'll go a lot of other places. In the bulletin, you'll notice on the back, um, there's some scripture. I have to tell you, it is exceedingly important to me that you test what you hear with Scripture. The Holy Spirit, we're going to learn this morning, the Holy Spirit will tell you everything that you need to know about what is in God's Word. And so I have listed Scripture. There's some that we won't necessarily get to. There's some that we'll spend a little bit of time on. There's some that we'll just reference. But that is there for you to test what is happening from here and so that you can be blessed throughout the week as you look at what the Holy Spirit perhaps has for you. In the book of Romans, uh, verse 14, chapter 14, verse 17, For the kingdom is God, of God is not a matter of what we eat and drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. When you read that on the surface, it doesn't make a lot of sense, because it's, what's, what's this about eat and drink? We're going to get into this in a moment with Paul and Silas, uh, sorry, Paul and Barnabas going to Jerusalem. But what happened, I'll give you the the Reader's Digest condensed version. What happened is as the church started to grow and the church expanded away from from Jewish, people of Jewish descent to Gentiles, which would be non-Jews, the Jews started to say to everybody else, look, you've got to be like us. You need to look like us. You need to be circumcised like us. You need to eat the things that we eat. You need to do the things that we do. In order to be in the, in the body of Christ, you have to be like us. 
And Paul is saying in this passage, one of the things that he's doing is he's saying, no, it's not about that. And then he jumps to what is it about? And so that's why we're using this as a, jump, a jumping off point. It's about living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we need, we need your presence to understand anything of what we read. It is so abundantly clear that the world cannot comprehend your word outside of the teaching of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that your spirit would be here today. I pray that the spoken word would be your spoken word. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would teach us and grow us as a congregation and grow us as a people. In your name, amen. So last week, just three, three points to refresh last week. Last week, we looked at the universal church, and in particular, we saw that God has a specific design. It's interesting, because in Ephesians, we're told that God started to reveal this design when, when Christ came to earth. We don't have the whole picture. So if it, was, if it was a canvas, you know, we're only seeing a portion of it. But, but what Ephesians says is God is starting to reveal this plan to us and, and part of that plan is this universal church and the body of Christ and how the body of Christ functions. And so yes, last week our discussion was really about our, our, our scriptural references were really on how does that body interact together and that we're told that we need to be dependent upon each other. We're told that we need to live in peace. We need to be peaceful. We need to be united we are told that God has assembled this body himself. He has fit it together perfectly. He's put the parts in place to do the things that he wants to do and what, what the desires of, of his heart are. We, we know that we are equipped with gifts. That's next week. You're, you're going to be called as a church to exercise your gifts, to discover them and exercise them, much like Sanjay sees his people do. A camp ministry, I don't know how many of you were, were ministered to in a camp ministry, but I can tell you, millions of youth around the world, that's their introduction to Christ. And somebody's gift might be doing a craft with them. And that might, that might be the extent of what God asks somebody to do. But we want to look at the gifts next week. And then, finally, we are specifically arranged. This, is, this does not happen just out of the will of man or the ideas of men. God will do what he needs to do. And, and this, is, this was the conversation Sanjay and I this morning. You can't stop it. Do you guys know how tough a place Bhutan is? Oh, I have a, a, a good brother who's opened a, church, a, a school in South Sudan. One of the most dangerous places in the world. And they've opened a school that teaches the gospel. And the government, which is violently opposed to everything that they stand for, has given them four square kilometers of land for their school. Just phenomenal. You can't explain it in human terms. So God does this. And what is the reason last week we saw? The reason is 
We are part of the evidence, the church, the universal church, is part of the evidence that he uses to show the world, to show all of mankind, and even the heavenly bodies, how wise he is, and how perfect his plan is. And when we take the microscope and we look all the way down at the broken people like me and you, who have to do this, we wonder how, how can he use us? How is it even possible? But we're told in Scripture that it is. Charles Spurgeon, one of the great, great preachers of all time, says this, without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are ships without wind. We are useless. And that is so true. We need the Spirit of God to be able to do the simplest of tasks. And I hope, my prayer is that in the next 20 minutes or so, you'll get a glimpse of of how the Spirit works in you and, and what's going on in you all the time, daily, that prevents the Spirit from doing what He wants to do and how God deals with that. To do this, we want to talk about two brothers, Barnabas and Paul and a conflict that emerged between the two of them over uh, a guy who was Barnabas' nephew, a guy named John Mark. So just, this is the history teacher in me, just be with me for a moment here while I explain this scenario. If you're familiar with it, you know, forgive me, maybe you'll learn something new, maybe not. Barnabas is, is probably, sadly, we only hear about Barnabas when we talk about this conflict. Even though Barnabas did, you know, amazing things, um, it's, it's, always, it's always this conflict with Paul that comes up. Now, Paul, for those of you, just, just a refresher, Paul was not his first name. His first name was Saul. And when he was converted, God changed his name to Paul. But Saul, before he was Paul was a religious leader. He was, he was under the teaching of Gamaliel, which, which was the top religious leader in all of Judaism. That was, that was the top graduate school, if you will, and Paul was one of the top students. Paul knew his stuff. And as Christ came, died, was resurrected, and the church emerged, emerged Paul was the person who was going to persecute and crush the church. He believed that Jesus was not the Son of God. He believed that this was an aberration. He believed that it was his calling to stop it. And so as churches were emerging after the resurrection, as churches were emerging, Paul would go around with effectively an army, and he would throw them in jail, and he would beat them, and he would just was wreaking havoc wherever he could in the church. And then he's on the road to Damascus. The angel blinds him. He has this, this amazing, miraculous conversion experience, and Paul becomes a follower of Christ. Nobody at that point wanted anything to do with Paul. Can you imagine? He shows up and says, oh, yeah, I'm a convert. Who's going to trust him? The apostles didn't. They didn't want anything to do with him. It was actually Barnabas that brought Paul to the apostles and vouched for who he was. 
it was Barnabas that first took Paul to the church in Antioch. And I'm going to show you a map in a minute, and you'll see where that was. And it was this church in Antioch that sent Paul and Barnabas out on the first missionary journey. So they, they send them out on this journey, and let's, let's go there now. So this is, this is the missionary journey. It takes place, it starts in Syria. This is where Antioch is. They come down to Cyprus, and then they go up into what is southern Turkey, and they spend a lot of time there, and then end up back in Antioch. And amazing things happen on this missionary journey. Thousands of people are converted. But it's not without its challenges. You probably can't read it, but up here in Antioch, Pisidia, the Jewish synagogue, the Jewish population, rose up against Paul and Barnabas, and I mean, it was intense. They were trying to figure out how to kill Paul and Barnabas, Jews in Antioch. Over here, there's a whole group of people that try to kill them again. Two times on this missionary journey, Paul is stoned and left for dead. It is an intense time, and Paul and Barnabas are going through this. Well, after their first, after their first stop, their first stop was in Cyprus, and, and some amazing things happened. The, the prefect of Cyprus was converted and became a believer. Amazing. It would be like the, the governor of a state who is converted. They go from there to southern Turkey, and they get to southern Turkey, and we don't know, we don't know where in the chronology, but John Mark is their assistant. Barnabas's nephew, it's Paul and Barnabas, and John Mark is their assistant. And John Mark leaves. That's really all we're told. He leaves. And not much is said in scripture, but John Mark goes, and then the missionary journey continues. And so they have great success. Thousands of people come to the Lord. The Jews largely reject the teaching of Paul and Barnabas. They largely reject it. Not all of them. But at one point in, in this journey, they say to the, to the Jews, because you have rejected the message, God is now sending the message to the Gentiles. And the rest of the missionary journey is still about discipling Jews, but it also becomes about reaching Gentiles. And so they, they do this, and it's immensely successful. So successful that by the time the, the, the journey ends, there's this controversy that has emerged that we talked about earlier. Jews, there's now all these Gentiles that are being added to the church, and the Jews are saying, you need to look like us. You know, this is, this is, this is our faith. We are the chosen people. And so Paul and Barnabas have to go to Jerusalem to have a council to settle this all down. Because the church is, is really, they're, they're having a lot of difficulty and they're making all of the Gentiles jump through hoops just to follow Jesus. And this is, this is really the rest of Paul's ministry and the rest of his writing is about why that's not necessary. And his teachings to Gentiles, his teachings about what's important and what's not important in, in, the, in the daily life. So they go to Jerusalem and they, and they solve that in this big council. And then they decide, we need to go out again. We need to revisit all of the churches that we've been to, and we need to, we need to affirm them in Scripture, and we need to reach out, and we need to continue to evangelize. And it falls apart. They've just come through 
being stoned, being beaten, being left for dead, uh, a church, a, a conceivable church split. They've come through all of that, and what do they argue about? Paul says, John Mark cannot come. And Barnabas says, yes, he can. No, he cannot. It gets so bad that they split. We're not going to minister together. Wow. Wow. Paul and Barnabas split. It traces back to John Mark. We, we, don't, know, we don't know very much about it. We just know it traces back to John Mark. There's theories on why it happened. They think that um, possibly John Mark left and didn't even tell them. So that when they got to, when they got to southern Turkey, it was a really rough place. There was a lot of sickness. It was swamps. It was, it was tough. But they hadn't yet gotten to the really tough part of the ministry when they were going to be killed and stoned. But, but John Mark kind of, they think he got cold feet at that point, and he bolted. And there's, there's some scholars believe he didn't even tell them. He just left. Um, was he cowardly? Was he not willing to suffer hardship? Um, what scholars say is Paul was probably way too hard on John Mark. Way too hard on him. Barnabas, it was his nephew. Barnabas was probably babying him. Scholars believe that when he went, because we, we know where he went, he went back to Jerusalem, which is where his mother was. Run home to mom. Uh, I, I talk to my mom every week. Uh, there's some comfort in mom. But not if God's telling you to do something else. So, um, the, the, the thing that's significant here is neither Paul nor, Barnab- nor Barnabas will yield. Neither one of them. And, and how many times in your, in your personal life, I, I asked my wife for permission on this one, um, we had an argument, I don't know, a month ago. I don't think we could even tell you what it was about. And how many times has this happened? You, you, you experience some really high high with God, and then in a moment of weakness, you find yourself in a place where you're just over nothing. And that is, that is what this is. This is, this is really kind of over nothing. So the question is, what in his infinite wisdom, what does the Holy Spirit do with that? What does he do with that? Is that did he bring that about? Did he allow it to happen? Does he just respond does, is he surprised and he has to scramble? What, what does the Holy Spirit do with that? So we have, in, in, in human relationships, we have interpersonal challenges. And this is immensely, immensely important that we understand. That even the best of humans are still human. You're still just human. And you are subject to your passions. You're subject to your emotions. It's, it's not unusual for very wise people to have differences. It's not unusual. And with Paul and Barnabas, they found themselves in this place. Um, I love Matthew Henry. He's a commentator on the Bible. And he says this about this particular conflict. Even those that are united to one and the same Jesus, it's not like they're following different gods. Even 
sanctified by the same Spirit. The same Holy Spirit is talking to them. Have different apprehensions, different opinions, different views, and different sentiments. It can happen. So how is it that the Holy Spirit works in the hearts of of humans? How does he do this? What 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 is the genius behind it? That I wish I could answer. I can't. What I can do is I can point you to some scripture that will talk to the nature of the Holy Spirit. And if anything can be revealed to you, it will be revealed above. Because as we'll see, it is not the words of men. It is the Holy Spirit who speaks to you. Is it possible to foil the plans of God? You know, I, I in, my, um, in my infantile Christianity when I was young, I used to believe that if I didn't do something, God's plan couldn't move forward. Think of the arrogance of that. The arrogance that if I did not witness to someone and I, and I actually believe that somewhere in a Sunday school class, somebody probably said this to me, that if I didn't witness to someone, that person could never find the kingdom of God. That's an incredibly arrogant belief that I as an individual would hold. Even if I wanted to, I can't foil God's plans. The government of Bhutan, the state of Qatar, They cannot foil the plans of God. God is going to do what God is going to do. And he's going to use men and women to do that in their brokenness. He still finds a way to do it. And we're told last week that when it happens, when he orchestrates that, it's beautiful and it demonstrates his wisdom. Just amazing. So let's turn to some scriptures. Um, I, I've got them all here. You've got a list. Uh, there's actually a more exhaustive list on the back of the bulletin, but you've got the list so that you can, that you can take a look uh, later if you want to. If you want to turn to these, you can, but I'll be moving uh, somewhat rapidly through uh, a number of passages now. Romans 8, 26 to 28. 28 is a, is a verse you're all familiar with. Well, I shouldn't say all of you. Many of us are familiar with 28. We're not so familiar with 26 and 27. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Helps us in our weakness. For example, get this. We don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And this is the one you're, you, you may be familiar with. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. That's the verse that you always hear quoted in kind of happy times. Right? It's good. God works for... But what you have to understand is the context of where that verse is. This is the lowest of the low. My... My, my, my emotional state is so low, I don't even know what to pray. God, I'm so hurt. God, I'm so broken. God, I'm so sick. God, how can you be doing this to my wife? How can you be doing this to me? And, 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 and Satan wants you to think that because you're paralyzed, you don't know how to pray, that you're stuck. 
But this verse tells us you're not stuck. Holy Spirit is ahead of you. You don't even have to pray it. He is there advocating on your behalf so that you will fall into the line of God's will. He is our advocate. John 14, 15 to 17. If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. This is, this is interesting because this passage is where Jesus is going away. He's, he's, he's going to heaven. He's leaving. And, and he knows that, and the disciples don't. And so he's trying to encourage them by saying, this is what's going to happen. You don't have to worry. You are going to have an advocate and he's never going to leave you. He's going to lead you into all truth. I think that Paul and Barnabas were not really seeking truth in their dispute. I think they were not seeking truth. I don't think they were really in that moment submitting to the Holy Spirit. It's okay because the Holy Spirit's bigger than that. He knows how to work with us. John 16, 12 and 13. There is so much more I want to tell you. This is what I alluded to earlier. But you cannot bear it now. Isn't that a beautiful thing? There are so many things that if we knew them could explain what is happening to us. But the Holy Spirit in his infinite wisdom does not reveal everything to us right away. As a new believer, things are not are not revealed to you right away. What we are told over and over in Scripture is he gives us what we need when we need it. He gives us the word. He gives us visions. He gives us understanding. He gives us, he warns us. He keeps us from getting into trouble. If we will submit and if we will listen. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. The Holy Spirit is directly relaying to you things that he hears from the Father. And when you are in crisis, he sits at the foot of the throne and he prays for you. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 3 to 5. I came to you in weakness. I came to you in weakness. Timid and trembling. And my message and my preaching were very plain. Oh, that is true. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so that you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. This summer, um, I was in California dropping off, dropping off my son um, to, at university, Biola University, great school. I'm so pleased with them. And in particular, their biblical perspective. But there was a crusade that was going on in Southern California. It took place at Angel Stadium. Uh, Angel Stadium seats probably 50,000 people, I suppose. And the stadium was three-quarters full. The only places where there were not people sitting in this crusade were places where you couldn't see the stage. Chris Tomlin was there. Uh, Phil Wickham was there. And, um, and, and a pastor who's been doing these crusades for, for 25 years. And I would, I would imagine there was about 40,000 people, thirty-five to 40,000 people in the stadium. And um, 
Phil Wickham came out and he blessed everybody in worship. And then Chris Tomlin, if you've, if you've never been in a worship session with Chris Tomlin, you need to do that. It's, it's phenomenal. His, his ability to lead you into worship is just, it's not the power of man, it's the power of the Holy Spirit with what he's doing. It has, it has to be his submission to the Holy Spirit. It's the only thing that explains it. This pastor gets up after that tremendous time of worship, and he gives what is a very simple message. Simple message. In fact, in my sinful, carnal spirit, I'm sitting there thinking, there's not much to this. Until he invites people to come forward. And I am not exaggerating to say, I saw at least seven to 10,000 people walk out of the stands, go down, receive a Bible, pray to receive Christ, get connected to a church. And I, and I, I couldn't figure out what, where did that come from? It's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does what he wants to do. When he, when he moves, when he acts, it just happens. And the book of Acts is, is full of these stories. Hebrews 10, 15 to 16. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. Get this, guys. Get this one. This is critical. This is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them in their minds. The Holy Spirit speaks so directly to you He writes right into your heart and right into your mind those things that he needs you to know and understand. And here's the the mystery of it, is that what this person needs and what this person needs and what that person needs in the same message is completely different and he continues to do that work. Just phenomenal how he takes care of us. We don't, we don't need, you don't need Steve. Honestly, this could be as powerful a service as you've ever been in. Steve or anybody else sitting here simply reading scripture for 35 minutes. That could, that could move you to tears. And it wouldn't be anything that the, that the human has done here. Luke 12, 11, and 12. And when you are brought to trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what, what is needed. This, is, this, used to be a, this used to be something Satan used to attack me with. Oh, you, don't, you can't memorize scripture. I'm, I'm dyslexic, so there's things I, I have a hard time doing. You can't memorize scripture. You can't, you can't quote scripture. So you can't be effective in talking with people. And I actually allowed that in my life to prevent me from doing that. I don't, I don't do that anymore. The Holy Spirit will give you whatever it is he has for that person. He'll, he'll, he'll equip you. And it might be scripture that you read, and it might just be words of encouragement. Book of Acts. We won't look at all of these. Book of Acts is full of the Holy Spirit. He instructs us. He brings power. He teaches us. 
He prompts us. He speaks to us. There's one passage, I think it's in your list, where Paul was going back to Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit had told Paul that when he went back to Jerusalem, he was going to jail. The Holy Spirit had revealed to him, when you get there, they're going to beat you and they're going to throw you in jail. The Holy Spirit also revealed that to a man as Paul was walking. And the man came up and grabbed his belt, and the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that Paul was going to jail, and he pleaded with Paul not to go. Paul went and, of course, wrote letters from jail because that's where God wanted him. He prompts us. He speaks to us. He restrains us. Things that that we think we should do, he will tell you no. One of the passages in here in, in the first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas were not allowed to preach the gospel someplace by the Holy Spirit. doesn't say why. It just says they weren't allowed to speak, they weren't allowed to preach there. He restrains us. He warns us of things to come. He appoints leaders. He reveals things to us. The Holy Spirit is constantly, constantly interacting with us. And we're getting to the end here. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. You see, the Holy Spirit gives you those good intentions. I want to do good, but you have a sinful nature that says, no, you don't. You're interested in yourself. You're interested in your own self-interests. And it is only in being tuned, in tune with the Holy Spirit that that can be outweighed and that the Holy Spirit can have his way in your life. Paul and Barnabas couldn't agree. They couldn't agree. So they split. They went in two different directions. But God used that. Twice the coverage. They now were covering two areas. John Mark came back into the ministry with, with Barnabas, and John Mark traveled with Barnabas. Paul brought in Silas. And later, in Timothy, I think it's coming, um, Paul actually is recommending John Mark to the church. You need to receive him. He's a good man. While they displayed a harshness of heart, it did not prevent them from ultimately submitting to the Holy Spirit. This is key. Paul and Barnabas struggled, but they didn't prevent them from ultimately doing what the the Holy Spirit wanted them to do. Submitting to what the Holy Spirit is asking, his prompting, his warning, or his teaching is paramount to God being glorified. That's the thing I hope that we leave here with an understanding of. That when we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, when we allow him to work within the body of Christ, when we don't fight that, when we don't give in to the old nature, that is when he's glorified. Next week, we will spend some time on the gifts. Um, what I want to do as we, as we break here, I'm going to ask Sheldon, I'm sorry, I'm going to ask Rodney to play a video. I'm just going to ask you to quietly contemplate. It's a song that... Um, I think will lead you into a place and then what you will see on the screen 
is you will see a number of verses that pertain to the Holy Spirit. You can just listen. You can watch. You have the verses in the, in the, uh, in the bulletin if you want to look at those later. But I hope that you'll just be blessed as our worship team comes and the worship team will close us out. Uh, but I hope you'll be blessed by these words from Scripture about the Holy Spirit.